Okay, folks, welcome to another edition of the Detour Live. As always, we're joined by three top, is it three? National four. Road Titles. Yeah, it's uh, four, but that's okay. I can live with it. Four national, road, national road titles, Johnny Trevorrow and Olympic gold medalist, Scotty McGrory. Fellas, a uh, lot to unpack on this episode. Uh, why don't we open the batting with Liège? Uh, what were your thoughts there, Scotty? Well, we had two, didn't we? So the Women's Liège, the, the fourth edition of that. Um, so Lizzie Diagon got the win there. And Aussie Grace Brown in second place, only nine seconds behind. So great ride by her. Her teammate, Annemiek van Vleuten, was my favourite for it, but um, still injured trying to come back from that. So what a great ride by by Grace. And for the guys, well, well wasn't that uh, – it was a catastrophe for Julian Alaphilippe, the world champion, doing the old – Victory salute a little bit too early and then getting pipped on the line. In the end, it didn't really matter because um, he threw a hook that got him relegated to fifth. Hershey is probably the one that's most disappointed because Mark Hershey Mm. would have definitely won that race if he hadn't been uh, thrown the old hook from Julian Alaphilippe. But, hey, you've got to be happy for Primoz Roglic. I think everyone was feeling for him after the Tour de France, finishing second. Um, So great for him to come away with a, a good win at the end of the year. If it must be a bitter pill to swallow, obviously for Hershey. I mean, how many times did that happen in your career where you got chopped and you had another iffy story? <laughs> oh, it happened a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> we should be talking about five Australian titles, but anyway, that's another story. But you know what, John? Uh, before you go on, I was when you were introduced as three, then you corrected it to four. I was going to jump in and say, well, probably could have been five or six. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you, and you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, you know, it would have been a really good finish. Hershey was looking set, but, but you know, uh, we've got the world champion going for it. So those two would have raced it out. I would have put my money on Hershey, but it would have been close, I reckon, between those two. But you know what? It was it was a bad enough hook, but it, it was that combined with just the way that Philippe rides. I mean, he is all over the bloody bike and um, it wasn't like a, a sprinter throwing a, a desperate hook. It, it was just over-accentuated by the way he rides. Um, but it was a fantastic finale. Just felt for uh, for Adam Yates because uh, I know he was really set for that. And uh, he crashed. You talk about with a, um, young Jai. Jai went down as well. And, um, and the Olympic champion, uh, they all went down when they hit a, uh, one of those set-up poles, traffic signs, um, and, and put them out. But, yeah, fantastic race. And, again, as you were saying, Scotty, uh, Grace Brown, who actually stormed home. She just ran out of road, so to speak. She closed, like, a minute and a half in, in, in those last few kilometres. So she was storming storming up. So fantastic ride in a monument. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, but, it, but, had, sorry, sorry, Dan. Yeah. Um, had she got there... Lizzie, Lizzie Diagnum, I think, would have beat her in the sprint anyway. They'd spent a couple of kilometres together. Lizzie was, is definitely the faster of the two riders. So, But mm. still, what a great ride it was from her. John, you should be a defence lawyer because trying to justify that hook from Julian Alaphilippe because of his riding style, he started on the barriers on the right-hand side of the road, finished in the middle of the road. That's one hell of a riding style, mate. Yeah, that's true. But the Roy style just accentuated it. He was moved out. He, 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 had, he, had, he had to. He was on the barriers, but he had to move out because he had to go past the uh, uh, the Barre Marina. Imagine the defence. He had to go past the spectators, and they could have had COVID. So he was just giving himself a little bit of social distancing. Uh, okay, I'm not defending him because he should have been rubbed out. It was no doubt about that. But I just he just you know, anyway, you know where I'm coming from. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine the defence where he goes, mate, that's just my riding style. I've been doing it like my whole career. Like, you know, come on, give me a break. But it does beg the question, Scotty, and you uh, fed us through a couple of classic times where riders have done the old two-hand salute a little bit too early. Um, a famous one was this one, the Milan San – oh, what have I done there? I've pressed the wrong button. Uh, Milan San Remo, um, and it was, this was Zabel. Uh, where he's gone the uh, early crow. And you can see just on the line there, uh, Oscar Ferrer goes to lunge and bang, loses it by a whisker. Um, that obviously was probably one of the more famous ones. And Zabel, you've really struggled to get over that. No, that, that was extraordinary. The fact that, so with this one, Alaphilippe was way in front, you know, threw the hands up and, and Roglic has sort of kind of come from nowhere. So it was a bit under, un, unexpected. But, Zabel, they were side by side with Oscar Ferreira. You know, it was such a, I guess, a, a bold move to try and celebrate. He wanted the photo. He was look at that photo. look at the photo there. Like he's looking yeah. down at the wheel, thinking, yeah. "Oh no, oh, <laughs> what if, you, if you if you play that again, uh, Dan, there's actually a, a, a line across the road about. A oh, meter, a couple of meters before, I reckon. Defence lawyer John Trevorrow. Just yeah, no, I reckon Zabel's thrown to the wrong line. You have a look. It, it, oh, it, hang on, you you're really testing my skill set here, Johnny. All right. <laughs> so, where do you want to go from? Okay, go from here. That's perfect. And you see him going, 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 going. There he goes. He's about to. He's got the half. He's got nearly half yeah, a leg. I'll try and get he's rid of that. Good. Yep. There we go. He's looking good. It's looking good. He's look. He's got it. Is the line? He throws, but it wasn't the line. Oh, There's right, yeah, okay. He thought okay. it was there, and then it yeah. was just... A, and there yeah, it okay. is, about yeah. another, you know, five metres further on. Anyway, that was just a thought. I only thought of it when you put it up before. It was a crack okay. in the road, but I don't think that was just a crack in the road. Um. <laughs> well, another another famous one you were talking about, Scotty, was um, Simon Clark back in 2015. We've got some vision of that, but Clark, he actually explains afterwards that it might not be what the commentators thought. Let's have a look at that. And Orica Green Edge keep it. Clark in the sprint for the second place, and I think he's going to do it. Simon Clark will wear the pink jersey at the end of the day. Another good day for Orica Green Edge. Matthews has lost out. I think he thinks he's won the stage, though. Pink jersey for you now. How do you feel? Yeah, look, uh, you saw the emotion crossing the line. I was just... Uh... Stoked to, to keep the jersey in the in the team. You know, I knew uh, Canada was still up the road, but I just couldn't hold the emotion in that uh, to to have been able to you know, take the jersey and keep it in Orica for another day. So he he was just celebrating getting the jersey. There was no mis miscommunication there. <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll go with that one then. Yeah. So yeah. Well, he, there's the another defence lawyer. David Formolo, which we didn't see in the clip, but David Formolo was. Um, I don't know, probably 25 seconds up the road, one on his own. And and, and I, I've actually, I've been in a situation that's kind of similar to that, not the Giro, of course, but where you forget it, you're just trying to win whatever sprint you're in, whatever the bunch is in, you know it's for some sort of result. And there would have been, you know, 500 metres before that, Simon would have been definitely thinking, okay, this is for a second, I know that. But then in the heat of the moment, the adrenaline, throw in the, the possibility of taking the jersey, then he might have just forgotten. In the last millisecond, he forgot that David de Formolo was up the road and he thought he was celebrating the win of the stage. Um, but, so, hey, you know, but good story. Good story. You know, Mike. another thing that's happened a few times is when they go into a town at a grandy and then they have to do circuit laps. Um, that's bit a number of riders oh, where they've yeah. forgotten. There was a oh, ripper. No. There was a ripper there. 
I am guilty yeah. of it. I am guilty of it. So um, <laughs> it was Wayne McCartney, so national team, I think 1988, so the Olympic team in 88. We went and raced you know, in, it's prepared in Italy on the road before we went to Germany to prepare for the, the track at the Olympics. And we came into town, and because what happens with those circuits, often you have the you know, 10Ks to go, 5Ks to go, 3, 2, 1, but then you've got the circuit to do. So you come back around again for those, those uh, kilometres to the finish. And Wayne, we did this incredible lead out. God, we were good, so strong. Wayne McCartney was first, Steve McLeod was second, and I was third. We were across the line, hands in the air to the sound of the bell, one lap to go. <laughs> Absolute idiots. Yeah. I did that the sun, my first son tour, mate. I had oh, yeah? the, monster, the monster lead me out. And he said to me, "It's one to go. It's two to go." I said, "No, no, we can't. this is the bell, mate." It's, and I talked him into it, uh, and he did me the greatest lead out of all time. Uh, and he's still never forgiven me for it. But anyway, you talked uh, into it. See, see the, the theory of the defence lawyer. It, it rings through here. You talked him into it. <laughs> no, I did. I did. I'll take it. But but while we're talking about it, because we've got memories having my first international tour. It was the, the the Scottish Milk Race in in 1970. So I'd gone over the Commonwealth Games, you know, just a 20 year old, just turned 21, and and the Scottish Milk Race was, and the World Titles were in England this, that year. So all the big teams, right, all the top teams, and all the best riders. Anyway, we had this stage into a, some little t- village on on the coast, and I've won the kick in and I thought I'd won the stage. I'd hands up all of that, and Rizard Sikorsky, the world champion, had jumped away. I actually had a, a had a fall, so I'll blame that and didn't know he he jumped away. And, and I saw him riding back towards me. And I thought, oh, how many of them were there? But luckily, it was only the one. So I did run second. But uh, I remember uh, going from the yeah, top of the heap to uh, yeah, bad luck. It's you feel like a goose. You do feel yeah. like a goose, but yeah. As we always say, keep the questions and comments coming in. Uh, Jenny Whitehead, big fan of the show. Good evening, guys. G'day, Jenny. Uh, Gary Ross says, Philippe deserved what happened yesterday. They shouldn't have relegated him just to make him do the walk of shame on the podium. I think, as we said, it was a pretty clear chop. Uh, now, Samantha wants to know, how bad are Adam's injuries? Do you know Iffy? Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, yep. Um, he, uh, he, he got a bike and everything and got back on the road, but he lost that much time and they were going. So he, he, he just uh, hopped in the car. He's not too bad. And, and the one, the guy who spoke, who just went before Gary Ross, he's a, he's a pom. We'll forgive him for that. Uh, and he helped me out. He, I met, he worked at the airport on the construction what, years ago when I was going over to Ireland and missed my plane. And he helped me out and he turned out to be a bike fan and then he uh, he came over the Tour de France a couple of years ago, helped me out again. Had to bring a radio that I left in London, picked it up for me, brought it over to the, to, uh, to to England. So he's a really good bloke. Oh, well, good on you, Gaz. <laughs> Keep firing in the questions and comments, mate. And we've got yeah. one here that's a bit left to centre. Andrew wants to know: Do you think any World Tour teams will not make it through COVID times due to loss of sponsorship? Well, well one for sure. In NTT, there's one. Mm. Yeah, and look, CCC was another. Um, yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's an, an easy way out for a company that's not getting the, the the marketing that they were hoping for, perhaps. And if they're struggling themselves, like CCC is a, a shoe company. You know, if people aren't buying shoes, they're not going into retail stores in in Poland. It's where they're based. Um, yeah, then obviously they have to think about what they're going to have to cut. We saw that with with the Wallabies. The Wallabies lost Qantas as a sponsor. 
Mm. Um, and they've been, they're, you know, they're sponsored for so long. And 27 years, yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? You know, but we understand mm. why. Mm. Like Qantas, they haven't been flying. So they, could, they first mm. thing you're going to drop is, is sponsorship. So for now it's those two teams. Um, but then that's been to the benefit uh, of the, the Wanty um, Goubert group, you know, the, the Belgian pro-continental team. They're going to buy the licence of CCC. They step mm. up into World Tour next year, which means um, young Bendigo boy Alexander um, Evans, who, uh, who sort of, you know, had a great ride last year, won a stage of Tour Lavenir, got himself a Pro Conti uh, spot, uh, contract. He's going to be World Tour next year because he's in that team. So, uh, you know, there's benefits for some people. But, yeah, I think next year is going to be very different for everyone. I know I know this mm. from television. I, I've, I know this from, like, I'm, I'm commentating the Olympic Games. We're supposed to be doing that this year, doing it next year now for Channel 7. And the cost-cutting that's going on around all of the sporting events and the commentary, um, mm. Like anyone that watches the, watches the footy, AFL, uh, mm. this weekend we had obviously Bruce McAvaney, one of the, the, the greats of, of commentary. He has not left Adelaide all year, yet he's commentated you know, the footy. Normally he would be flying mm. into all the different venues. He had, uh, I think, James Brayshaw commentating out of Melbourne while um, McAvaney was commentating out of Sydney. So these are the things that mm. are going on behind the scenes because of COVID and because of the uh, the financial restrictions that come with that. And that's going to go right through next year as well. A lot of sponsorship yeah, will be lost. For sure. Now, as we said at the top of the show, we've got a massive uh, episode of The Detour and we've got an absolute legend, Iffy, of Australian cycling. He was the first winner of a stage at the Giro. Uh, do you want to give us a bit of an intro for our next guest? Because he's waiting in the lobby. Oh, fantastic. Well, Michael Wilson. Um, and, uh, yeah, a superstar. I can remember... I can remember him racing around at the same time as me, but he was amateur when I was pro. Oh, we never it's always about you, together. John. Keep no, it about no. Michael. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, he is a legend. And uh, won an Australian road title by something like nine minutes. And he was only about only 20, I think. And uh, all the big hitters of the, of the amateur world, the Cincinnati's, everyone there, real wet, cold day, and he, and he put uh, nine minutes in. But uh, absolute legend. Um, Here he is. Of, here he is. G'day, Michael. Hey, John, waiting in the lobby here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not now, mate. You're, you're on air with, the, with the, the big four now. Now, I've got to tell something about Michael. I had trouble sending him an email because he spells Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L instead of E-A-L. So it's the other way around. The only Michael I've ever seen like that. And uh, um, I, I, that, I'm not sure. I haven't worked out why it's like that, but that's the way it is. I think my mum couldn't spell, John. <laughs> well, well, that happened to Matthew Heyman as well. He's meant to have two T's, but he's only got one T. And I said, what, what's going on there? He said, yeah, no, Dad stuffed it up when he was going in the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that Michael's mother can't spell because she'll get give me a, a walloping because I can remember we were Tour of Tassie a couple of years ago and uh, I was doing a radio interview and the guy said, uh, Tour of Tassie. I said, oh, yeah, look, I won it in 1978. And Mrs. Wilson called in the complaint. He, he did not. Michael won it in 978. It turns out she was right. I won it in 979. So there you go. So I'm not going to say anything against Michael. <laughs> so, Michael, yeah, thanks for joining the show, mate. Like, give us a bit of a backstory for the people that are tuning in that, um, you know, don't know, like myself, too much about cycling pre-sort of mid-90s. Um, tell us about how you got into the sport back in the early days. Oh, I think it's just like a lot of people... Back then, it was just family history, and um, my dad and my granddad were were both cyclists. So, um, when I got to a certain age, 
Um, I, rather than get into trouble roaming the streets, my mum bought me a bike and then um, away we went. <laughs> and, and what point did you think, geez, I'm actually pretty good at this? Uh, was, it, was it early on? Um, no, it took a, took a few years to work out that I could actually win, win races. Um, so, you know, probably, I was probably 15, I won the National Schoolboy Championship at 15, so uh, really I sort of started thinking a bit further ahead at that stage, I think. But, you know, you, you didn't have a lot of, there was no internet or anything like that, so we just uh, got our monthly cycling magazine and um, we could look at the stars in Europe and see photos of them and dream of one day doing something like that, so... Yeah, a bit different. And in the 1970s in Tassie, um, you were, would have been riding you know, track as well as the road. Uh, and uh, I, I remember that you actually ran a, I think you ran second in an Australian uh, pursuit title on the track as well. Yeah, and that was Olympic selection year. So um, I probably could have actually made a choice of, of going with the um, team pursuit on the track if, if I wanted to rather than do the road. But they didn't sort of want you to do both back in those days. We weren't capable, of course. <laughs> um, now, if he was telling me, oh, mate, Michael, he's got the record. Is it the biggest margin for an Australian title, nine minutes? Oh, I'd have to be close. I can't remember any others being similar. But it was a pretty pretty awful-looking day. So uh, I don't know if you can see out the back now. It's pretty wet and cold here too. But, um that day was much wetter and much colder than what, what we're seeing at the moment. But uh, I think it was was something like two degrees in Adelaide, in the Adelaide Hills. Um, so it's a pretty tough day. And and yeah. how did it come about that you won by so much? I mean, anyone gets to that sort of gap, they might even sit up and, and wave to the crowd and take it easy. Or you just, just had legs of steel and just gassed it. Oh, I think I put it down to being a Tasmanian and being used to the cold and wet. So... <laughs> <laughs> Out of it. <laughs> Look, I, I, from what I, I can remember reading about it, and they it was sort of went out two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, and then they had a real hard chase, uh, all the top guys, and they didn't catch anything on him, and they just sort of gave up on the winning it and then raced for, for, for second, and Michael just kept going and put a, a, a huge gap in. But um, I, you went over to Europe fairly young. How old were you went over to Europe? Only around about 1920. Yeah, I went over as part of a national team at 19. Uh, went to the Junior Worlds in America at, I think I was about 18 or something then. And then 19, went on national team to Holland and to the World Championships there, Lokenberg. And, uh, yeah, then did the Olympics the next year and then stayed there, basically. Yeah. What was it about um, Italy, mate? When you, when you eventually you know, started racing, you got your professional contracts. What was it like being an Australian in those early years, just trying to find your way as a professional in Italy? Oh, I was pretty lonely as an Australian. There weren't many of us, not in Italy. Um, you know, there was the odd one would come along and come and go. And uh, But really, I was probably the only one at the time. So, you know, I had to learn to speak a bit of Italian and, and there, were, there would have been one or two Americans and a couple of Poms there and... You know, that was about it. I didn't really have many English-speaking people to speak to. And then when you went to races in other parts of Europe, of course, they'd be made up with, you know, Phil and Alan and, you know, the odd other Australian that was around. But there weren't many of us back in those days. 
So there's you, 18, you... Eight, 18 riders um, Australian. <laughs> sorry, Johnny. 18 riders yeah. um, from Australia in the Giro this year. That, that must, for you, seem extraordinary where things yeah. have come from. I, mean, I heard that before and uh, I couldn't believe it. That's a lot of riders. That must be uh, behind Italy. It must be the biggest representation of any country, I'd imagine. It is. It? Yeah. yeah, that's mm. correct. That's right. But uh, uh, it definitely wasn't like that back in the old days. But you uh, had uh, nearly two years in Italy as an amateur, I, I saw on, on your records, you're in uh, half a dozen wins. But you uh, were good mates with Jeff Leslie and you rode, I remember you riding a couple of um, uh, those two up team time trials with Jeff and you did a really good uh, Baraki and one other. Yeah, we um, we did the Baraki, and then uh, we also did the Flesh Door, which was a, a similar type of thing, but um, based in France, and we won that too by quite a margin. I can't remember the, the exact margin at the moment, but it was it was similar to the national title win, I think. So you were living in Italy. Um, t- talk us through what it was like to ride your first Giro. I mean, two years earlier, you had Ify on the start line smoking darts. Um, what was the <laughs> Giro like back in those days? <laughs> Well, look, it was it was a tough race, just like it is now. I mean, any Grand Tour is tough, but you know, I was first year pro, and I mean, I, I don't, I only actually raced amateur for one year in Italy, so I really, um, I didn't have a lot of experience. Pretty green at the time, and that, but which probably doesn't hurt because it means you don't have any fear, really. Mm. And take us through the famous stage three uh, of that first Giro you did. Oh, look, it's one of those days where you um, everything just went well, you know. I probably sat at the back of the bunch for 220Ks and then got told by the director to move up towards the front and, and uh, it was an uphill finish, so we, we sort of had three or four Ks of uh, solid, solid uphill um, to get there and um, I remember hitting or getting to the front of the group near the start at the start of the climb and being in good position and then it all just happened and I just felt good. And, yeah, and it felt good and we were yeah. trying to get the vision of that up again because I've seen it uh, and uh, Dan couldn't find any decent vision. He found one bit that was no, grainy. But... Let, let me work it out. I reckon I've got it here somewhere and I yeah, might be able okay. to wingle something. Oh, it would be so. great to see it because yeah. it wasn't yeah. just uh, some mug. It was a bloke named uh, Laurent Fignon who you uh, burst, gave him a coal as you went past him. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what was the reaction from your team um, post-race? They must have been just absolutely ecstatic. They were because my team was actually a, a, a new team, so we'd only just started that year. So to, to win a stage in the Giro was a pretty big deal for a, uh, for a small go. team. This is yeah. the uh, the vision. So you can see coming into the final there. Um, there's a gap. Yep, exactly. And then bang. Yeah. Thank you, mother, for the rabbits. Yeah. He tried hard. <laughs> he, yeah. fignon has got, got nothing on you, mate. <laughs> um, so that must have obviously given you a lot of confidence um, to have that sort of success so early in your in your career. Um, what sort of momentum did that give you moving forward? Oh, well, when, when that happens, and I got a uh, few other top five or a couple of other top fives in the Giro too, so that year. Um, one on a climb finish up Monte Campione and another another one in a sprint gallop, I think it was. So, you know, I, you sort of come out of that as a young rider and you think, oh, this is pretty easy, you know, I should be able to win stage or two in all of these races whenever I want to try, but of course it never happens again. So 
like that. Not not quite that easy. Um, it's funny that you know it often happens. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it sort of gave me a good good grounding and and um, something to move forward on anyway at the time. Now we've got a question that's come in from uh, Stuart McIntosh. He says, "How did Michael pay the bills when riding as an amateur for a year in Italy? It must have been a tough existence." Oh, no, I, w- I wouldn't say that. I mean, look, um, I-, I was lucky in a way because Jeff Leslie helped helped me out a bit in those that early couple of years, and uh, we had a-, a team in Italy. And the the amateur teams in Italy at the elite level were pretty well organised and pretty well funded. So they basically put us up in a hotel, and and I used to just eat in the hotel, and um, they provided all the equipment and, and everything. All I had to do was come up with an airfare to get over there, really, and then. They looked after the rest. I think we even got paid a bit of a bit of a little small wage each month. You know, it wasn't wouldn't have been much, but uh, enough to buy an ice cream and you know go out <laughs> once every. So it wasn't um, too, too bad. It wasn't too was, hard. Was there a big community though? You're talking about obviously Phil Anderson, uh, Alan Piper, and the likes. Did you guys sort of build your own little community of Aussies over there, or was it hard to sort of stay connected pre-internet and things like that? Oh, yeah, pre-internet was uh, pretty difficult. I mean, we didn't, it's, you know, it's obviously different to now, but we used to catch up a, a bit and have a bit of a chat at all the races and that. And um, But we were living quite a long way apart. And back in Italy in those days, the Italian scene was a lot, was a lot stronger than it is now. So we, um, we had enough racing in Italy to basically not have to go anywhere else if you didn't want it. Some teams didn't leave Italy for the whole year, so... Um, there was plenty of professional racing in Italy, but we used to go off and do the, some of the classics in, in Belgium and Holland and and uh, other races around Europe as well, you know, just to get a bit of experience and keep our toe on the Sorry, sorry to interrupt there, Michael. Um, th- just the fact that the, you know, like if you look at the riders these days, you mean, no one wants to talk about oh, the older you are, the harder it was back then in the day. But you mentioned, you know, how there were very few Australians around, a couple of, you know, um, English-speaking riders that were there. But did you feel or do you know of riders that came from Australia, went over, may have had the talent to be at the top level but just couldn't put up with just the fact that they had to sacrifice everything and move overseas? It's very different to today, isn't it, where the guys go to Girona and the training bunches are just full of English-speaking riders. You know, it's almost like a home away from home. Very, very different for, for your generation. That was kind of like a natural cull of riders that had the mindset to be able to uh, be strong enough to go all the way with it. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a pretty lonely experience. I, I was lucky. I had uh, my wife, Mary, was there pretty much right from the start. And uh, our son, Joshua, was born in 1983. So we had our little family there and we'd... we'd from other Australians from time to time, and that was always exciting. But apart from that, we um, lived a fairly isolated life in Italy. You know, you, it was even, um, you know, making a phone call to Australia was, um, well, that would take up most of your monthly wage or, <laughs> or uh, if you could get the phone call phone call through. I mean, uh, phones weren't very reliable back in those days, so there was virtually very little communication back to Australia. So it was a lonely existence and it, it was really tough. Um, you just had to make the best of it. And if you, you were that sort of person, you, you'd get by. And if you weren't, then you'd just probably go back home with the tail between your legs. Um, you raced up until, I say, 1991. When when did you know that, you know, your career was coming towards uh, the, the back end? 
Oh, probably about um, start of that year, I, I sort of started to, oh, I made the silly mistake of um, actually setting up a business in Australia and it was um, causing a lot of stress and times were pretty tough back in Australia in those days. In hindsight, I wouldn't have done it. I mean, better off leaving that to when your career is well and truly over. And uh, I got distracted a lot and started to lose uh, motivation and confidence and all that sort of stuff and um, and just sort of the drive went away and um, it was time to go home. Um, how, how did you find the, the post-retirement? Um, because you talk to a lot of professional athletes, you know, they, they sometimes pigeonhole themselves as they identify as a cyclist or whatever. How did you go um, post-cycling with all of that? Well, I, I, can, I can fully understand that. It's a bit like um, post-traumatic stress, I suppose, or something, <laughs> you know. You finish your career and you've got to move on with something. I mean, I was probably lucky. We had a business and we sort of had that to keep, you know, keep us going and and worked hard at it for a few years. Um, but um, I can imagine, you know, finishing and, and finding it really difficult. I mean, that would yeah, be quite common. Well, you're fleeting past on the business. It was actually an amazing uh, uh, vineyard that you you. Own, Michael. Did you learn any of those talents in Italy, or was it something you uh, you had to learn when you got home? I uh, learned how to drink and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, we used to ride around through the vineyards, and it was a really attractive place to be, and um, and it just seemed like a nice way to to do something because being a cyclist, an inside job working in an office is probably not really an option. I mean. Basically, you like being outdoors, and really, at the end of the day, when you when you're making wine and you 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 are still chasing gold, silver, and bronze medals. So, you know, it's the same old thing, isn't it? Really. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you only got uh, it's only a couple of years ago that you sold the winery, but uh, I remember going park going in there, and it was just a wonderful setup you had there. Yeah, we. Um, we built it up from a tiny little shed to a, a bit bigger shed, I suppose. And uh, I used to make a bit of wine there, and uh, I quite enjoyed it. I loved it, really. I mean, did that for probably 20 years, big part of our lives, and uh, a lot of fun. Um, it's love, was, I think. I was going to say, look, looking back at your career, mate, is there anything, if you had your time again, that you'd do different? Or do you look back and say, well, you know, I, I got the most out of the career that I had? No, I don't think I got the most out. I think I was, I probably needed a um, sports psychologist and a and a really good coach or trainer or something just to, because I, I you know, getting motivated is is one of the um, one of the hard things in Europe. It's a, as you say, you're a long way from home. You don't have family around to to support you all that much or help you uh, in in the tougher times. So um, you know, in hindsight, you know. Would have probably got a bit of help from outside, and but it's you know too late now. I still, now, you, you, look, you, had a, you had a great career, and you, and you won stages in the Giro, in the Vuelta, Torino Adriatico, Tour de Suisse, but you also had a top 10 finish overall in the Giro. What year was that? Uh, that was 85. So, um, I, I, my team actually was concerned that I wasn't training hard enough, so they they moved. Got me to move to another town, and it was a much better setup, and I had better training partners, and and uh, went out and did trained a little bit harder, and actually went a little bit better. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> funny about that. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think of the current standard of cycling? You still take an active uh, involvement in, in the sport? Oh, yeah, I still um, still keep an eye on what's going on. I, I didn't stay up last night and watch the race. I watched the highlights this morning. Uh, pretty pretty nice finish, though. <laughs> pretty exciting. <laughs> and, uh, still, still stay up and watch the stages sometimes and uh, keep a, a real good eye on it or watch the uh, highlights in the morning. Um, but um, and, and ride most days just to, to keep fit and a bit healthier. Uh, I love riding my mountain bike, although I'm a bit wet at the moment, but, you know, still enjoy it. I was um, I was going to mention the riding that you're still doing, Michael, because I, I follow you on Strava. So I guess, do you, what do you, what do you miss about those days of racing? Because we had this conversation last night with the boys, um, and I said that look, I don't really miss the competition, but on Strava, which is a new platform, um, there's a, an element of competition to that. So if it's you know trying to get a, a KOM versus other people, or just trying to get the best out of yourself and see how you go on a particular hill. Now, what is it that you miss from back in those days of racing and what do you enjoy about riding now? Oh, look, Scott, I, I, I probably don't ride as much as you are at the moment. but um, I've been on heaps, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you're doing a little bit, yeah, which is good. But, you know, it, it, I think it's important that we keep um, keep in touch with that side of our lives and uh, and I still enjoy racing but probably uh, in my grade or uh, you have to come to accept at some stage in life that you can't beat the young guys anymore. So I've accepted that and I just ride in my grade or ride in my age group in the mountain bikes or whatever and and just have a bit of fun with it and I I enjoy that. I enjoy the competition still. So, you know, love that side of it. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to accept that at some point as well, I guess. Yeah. Hard to get there. Have, have you got a tip for us for the Giro, mate? People always tune in to find out who they think is going to win on this show. <laughs> no idea. It's got to be an Australian with that many Australians in there, though. Who could have been? <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, that, not, that mate. might be tough. Yeah. Nah, I haven't got Aussie this time. Hey, yeah. 2020, anything's possible. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now, Richie did a good uh, tour, so that's nice. Mm, definitely. Anything you want to add, Ify, before we let Michael go? No, I just uh, thank Michael for coming on board. Uh, you're a superstar, mate. And uh, um, say hello to mum. All right, will do. <laughs> Good on you, Michael. Appreciate, appreciate you being on the detour, mate. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Michael Wilson, legend of the sport, as we said. He's the uh, first Aussie to win a stage at the Giro. Uh, and Ify, now it's time to give the sponsors a bit of a plug, mate. So do your finest. Happy to do that. Um, Mitchelton Winery and Mitchelton Wines, a great sponsor. And that that photo there, you're looking at uh, the wonderful Mitchelton Hotel. So right on the banks of the uh, uh, of the Goulburn River, just out of Nagambi. And it is a sensational, but absolutely glorious hotel. A beautiful swimming pool there and a great uh, restaurant. So you, uh, you can have down there for breakfast, beautiful uh, lunches and dinner and of course and i mentioned it yesterday again there's a wonderful downstairs aboriginal art gallery which is just to die for it is absolutely amazing uh a beautiful spot and wonderful wines of course see mitchelton mm. uh, east Shiraz, one of my favorites they, they do eggs benedict they certainly do oh i haven't had an egg still- benny for ages do they still have the uh the, the, well they've got the cafe still there but and they would they're still making chocolates out of um, no, 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 you can still get chocolates there. They're not making yeah. them in there as they were, but mm-hmm. they're still 
involved with that company. But uh, I'll tell you what I had the other day. They had a um, kangaroo, like a steak tartar, kangaroo tartar. I don't know what it was called. It was oh, yeah. absolutely amazing. I think really? It's you Ro- love I your tartar. No, no, I do know the term for that. Um, I yeah, roadkill. Roadkill tartar. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, kangaroo is the leanest meat in the, in the world, or one of them, if you yeah, want a nice, good, yeah, lean, yeah, high yeah. in protein. Beautiful. Yeah, especially when, so when it's been squashed by a truck, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Alan says, yes, John does the sponsors well. Good on you, John. <laughs> you, you actually, you are getting very, very good at the uh, Mitchell and Plugs for sure. All right, <laughs> we've got was, a quick – Skull, who came on the tour with us a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Why do they call him Skull? <laughs> Bald as a badger. Okay. All right. I'll do uh, here's... <laughs> uh, here's a quick word from our great mates at Bike Exchange. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs, semi-amateurs, and pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. You know, it's a good ad is when you've seen it about fifty times now, and it's still good. Like you know, that's that's my honest opinion. So uh, anyway, we caught up with Matt White as always, and uh, yeah, he's he's pretty optimistic. Um, Yates is the red hot favourite for stage three. Uh, so this is our chat with him earlier today. A big one today, mate. You're under the the big Mount Etna, but you're climbing it from a different direction. Yeah, we are. I'm not sure if they've actually ever used this side of uh, Mount Etna before, but. Uh... We, uh, I came out here in December and had a, had a look at it, and then we had a training camp with uh, our Giro climbers in uh, in March. So it's it's a short stage. Uh, there's not too much flat in the stage, but it's basically only one one major climb of the day. It's uh, from the last time we did Etna from the other side. It's probably a little bit more regular, and then it kicks up quite hard in the last two and a half kilometers, uh, and that's I think where where you'll see some big splits in or big splits. You'll see some splits amongst the best guys today. I, I see uh, Adam oh, Adam Yates. Simon Yates is the favourite for the stage. Uh, how's he feeling uh, mentally and physically? Yeah, good, mate. He's relaxed. Uh, I, I said this. Because because there's only one real climb today, I would think the likes of Garen Thomas and, stuff, and alike, if if Simon attacks in the final, will just stick to their pace and, and just try to you know, limit their losses if, if Simon's on a good day. So... I wouldn't expect too big a gaps between the big favourites, but I'm quite curious to see how uh, Fool's Game, uh, Nibali, uh, and Maker and those guys uh, are today in their first, first the first real test uh, for the GC guys. It's not a big, big day, but it's uh, it's one solid climb with a with a nasty finish on it. We can be guaranteed of one thing: we can guarantee that uh, Ghana won't be in uh, 
pink by the end of today. You can, you can, you can. I think the, I think the young Portuguese kid Almeida will be going pretty hard to try to take the jersey today. He, he's only just got to finish in front of uh, Garen Thomas, and uh, for us to, if, to take the jersey, probably quite hard today. And it's not we don't necessarily want the jersey today uh, because uh, it's, it's a long way to go, and uh, there's some tough days coming up, and. Uh, uh, I'd rather be behind, coming from behind uh, this early in the race. But look, if we win the stage, so be it. But uh, we'll just focus on uh, that last three kilometres today and uh, the likes of Lucas Hamilton and Jack Haig controlling things uh, up until then. Uh, you know, and it's all always... going through. Sorry, mate. We're just saying we we're going through the team. Cut me off all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going through the team earlier, and and we just look. You've got a really strong uh, climbing support team in in this one with with uh, with all the Aussies who, who look really good. No, we have. It's it's been the plan all year. Uh, we didn't uh, divert from that plan uh, once they changed the Giro and the tour dates around. And uh, yeah, Jack and Lucas have been building really nicely for this race. And uh, you saw they were both uh, moving very well in Torino a couple of weeks ago with Jack finishing in the top 10 and Lucas winning a stage. And uh, for us at the moment, uh, everyone's good except Brent Walder got, uh, was in a crash yesterday. And uh, he's going to be probably a bit, uh, bit sore for a couple of days. But uh, that's that's three big tours, and we'll just have to adapt until he comes good. Uh, you, know, you, look at, look, you look at how Astana's started this race off with Lopez, mm. Lopez out day one, and yesterday their young uh, Russian climbing star uh, Vlasov was was ill and he had to stop. So actually, Fools Gang got basically no support for the next eighteen days. So it, it's three big races. You've got to adapt. But I'm really happy with the group I've got, especially with Lucas and Jack, and then Damien Housen, Australian champion Cam Meyer. We've got a great little group, and uh, so far, so good. Um, it's always a game of chess, these grandies, particularly early on. Are you expecting any surprise moves from any of the other teams uh, this early in the race? Today, I, I don't think so. I just don't think there's too much of an opportunity to go, to surprise anyone today. I think it'll uh, it'll be fast and, and pretty intense to get to the bottom of the climb. And the climb itself, I, I think what Ineos will want, knowing how Geraint Thomas climbs, they'll just want a consistent climb and they'll probably use the likes of uh, Castroveco, maybe Rowan Dennis at the bottom slopes and uh, Teo Guggenhardt just to keep a, a, a pace that that will deter any big attacks from far. But I think the last three kilometres is where you'll see the fireworks today. That was part one of our chat with Matt White. Uh, part two, as always, it's when we ask the really important questions. If Before we let you go, mate, um, what was dinner last night? Dinner, dinner was good. I had uh, swordfish and uh, some very nice uh, risotto. And it looks like you got the presidential <laughs> suite, mate. You got the drapes. You got the coffee oh, oh, table. Oh, oh. <laughs> it was a bit. It's a big room. It's a big room, but it's uh, the as I say, the air conditioning unit wasn't working very efficiently last night, and uh, I had to sleep with all the windows open and uh, got got a few bites by mosquitoes. Overnight there, so I didn't have the <laughs> didn't have the best of sleeps last night. But you, you win some, you lose some. But uh, this hotel would have been uh, would have been going off in the fifties and sixties, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick one on uh, on last night's uh, Liège Baston Liège. Firstly, a fantastic ride by uh, Gracie Brown in, in the women's. She just ran out of road. Yeah. She, was, she was storming home. Yeah, look, we, we I caught the last bit of the women's race just before our race started. Uh, the great ride from her and a real breakout performance. She's had it. On a good vein of form at the moment with fifth place in the World Championships and the time trial as well. And then in the men's race, uh, well, that's a one for the books, that one. Uh, we, um, for us, our leader crashed, uh, Adam Yates crashed out yesterday with Greg Van Arnott and a couple of others. 
And then uh, Nick Schultz uh, was our best finisher in the, in the 20s. I think he was at a minute 20, minute 30. He had a really good ride. But uh, you saw the finish there with uh, with Alaphilippe, firstly hooking uh, hooking those other guys and then uh, thinking he'd won the race, so the double-handed victory salute, only to get rolled by Rodzik uh, in the end. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, uh, He's like, look, he's had he's had some ups and downs uh, this last month, Alaphilippe, hasn't he? He's, uh, he's taken the yellow yeah. jersey, then given the jersey away with a silly, <laughs> silly bit of, uh, bottle change that gave us the yellow jersey. Then he's won the world title after that, and then he's given away the ace best on the age. So yeah, I, I reckon if, if he hadn't Hershey, I reckon Hershey would have won it if he hadn't because he actually stopped him. And uh, he was in the perfect uh, right on the wheel. So uh, anyway, that's the way it goes. He, he was certainly worried about him. He was certainly worried yeah. about Hershey. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm. All right, Bob, oh, mate, well, all the mate. best. Should be a cracker. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we've got a uh, one, one today, and then we're one more day on, uh, on in Sicily, and then we're back on the mainland. All right. Well, we're looking forward to what sort of dishes they serve up on the mainland too, mate. <laughs> all right, Bye, guys. Bye, mate. Have a great day. Good See on you, mate. Bye. That was Mitchell and Scott, Sports Director Matt White. Now. I've got a surprise for you boys. On our show, the Social Distance Podcast, we do a segment called Podcast Fishing, and that is when we throw out the bait live on the show. We don't know who's going to buy it, and I've actually got a nibble. It's Bill's. Hey, fellas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sam Billy. I knew he'd be back, Ify. I knew he'd be back. You can't keep me away from this, mate. <laughs> no. Keep me away from a microphone. That's no, it. Sammy, good to see you, mate. First of all, how are you healing up? How's the how's the how's the 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 arm, the wrist? Get in there, get in there, Effie. It's a month, just about a month now, a month tomorrow since I crashed. So um, <clears throat> yeah, it's been slow actually, slower than what I expected. But I am training on the road. Been on the road again for a couple of weeks, so uh, at least I'm able to get some some decent training done, and hopefully that'll allow me to get on the start line again at some point in the next few weeks before the season closes out. But, yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Better yeah, than believe, what it was last time. Yeah. I believe Durbo's back in G-Town. Did you catch up with Durbo since he's got back from the TT Worlds? No, I haven't seen him. He's in Andorra, actually. He uh. he raced um, Bink Bank to us straight after the Worlds, and then he yep. went straight to Andorra, but he's back in a couple of days, so I'll catch up with him then. Um, Scotty, have you met Bills before? I have met I have met Bills before, mate. Yes, um, and and we're being both um, former track cyclists. We're, we're kindred spirits, kindred spirits, anyway. Um, and you know, Sam, I don't know if you noticed this, but four out of the top five in the time trial at the World Championships this year were all trackies, like yourself. So they the were have taken over. Yeah, and and the problem with half those trackies is they're also winning bloody Tour de France's. So we we. We really missed the boat, didn't we, Scotty? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did, mate. Yeah, we did. We were one hey, um, one horse ponies, one show ponies, or whatever you call. Oh, it. Nope. Scotty's dropped I've, the phone. I've, I've dropped the phone. It's <laughs> rattled him. Got excited. I was going for a Madison. I was going for a hand change. Hey, um, you, you mentioned, um, you know, you're hoping to get back on the start line. This is such a condensed season. Okay, obviously, you know, crashes are unpredictable anyway. But with the wrist, it has to be pretty solid for you to start racing again. You don't want to do cobbles as first races. What what do you, what do you think? What are the doctors saying? What's your timeline to get back on? Yeah, that's the thing. The, I mean, there's only really two options. Um, like you say, with such a condensed season, obviously the Giro on at the moment, and then you're going to have the Giro overlapping with the Vuelta, the first week of the Vuelta, and and the classics, the the Flemish classics. So the teams are running pretty short on riders. Um, 
so you know i'll probably be needed somewhere anyway and i'd obviously i'd love to race uh the classics start in well they start in a few days so i won't i certainly won't be at the first ones but i could be ready for the for the last couple uh that'll be six weeks after the crash but like you say a broken wrist uh, even when it has healed uh could be pretty could be pretty niggly on the roubaix cobbles uh and the only other option is the vuelta um and then that brings in a whole a whole different aspect you obviously obviously have to have really good condition for a grand tour even though it's only 18 days this year it's still 18 days of racing and it's a tough well it's a really hard start this year so you know those are my really my only two options uh, well there's three options the welter um the last couple of classics or no more racing at all uh but i've told the team that i'd really really want to be on the start line again um so we'll see how the form is we'll see how the wrist is and we'll probably have to make a decision in the next 10 days or so uh where, where i line up oh worst case scenario you can really podcast your way through the back end of the year mate <laughs> that's it and I, I do enjoy the podcasting but i do enjoy racing yeah. my bike as well so hopefully we'll be, be on one of the we'll, i'll be on a start line somewhere but i don't know where yet uh well we brought you in to really lift the mood up mate and what better way than the detour delorean roads where we're going we don't need roads Now, we promised yesterday, we should have played it yesterday, but we didn't. Um, the Liège from 2014, obviously amazing memories for the Orica Green Edge team. So here's a little snippet uh, from that backstage pass uh, where Simon Gerrans uh, sealed a, a fantastic victory. Gero's back good again because winning's taking him up, huh? Right. Clarky, look for Gero's coming up on your left hand side. Gero's coming up on your left hand side with Peter. Come on, Wing Dog. There's Gero, this is perfect. We got over this, we're actually here. So that is what? On the wheel. Oh my god! Oh my god! Watch out, Mark! Go, Simon! Come on! Yes! Come on! Yeah, yeah, yeah! Uh, look, Dan, it's stuff of dreams. I mean, Leo's bashed on the A's. Milan San Remo. It's, it's one of the monuments. You know, you, you look at the, the stages that we've won in the Tour de France. You, you, look, you look at this, this race here. It's never been won by an Australian, let alone an Australian team. And to be at the start line is something special. And to win it and the way, the way the guys rode as a team, the way they really committed, the way they stuck to the plan was probably one of the better sporting moments I've been involved in. And then that last couple of kilometres when I was explaining 
uh, to Whitey over the phone because he was in the car and I was trying to explain what was happening and, and I hope he understood uh, because I certainly didn't understand what I was saying. So it was, it was quite special and yeah, really proud of the, the whole team. Oh, mate, I don't know what to say. Dream come true. Um, it's uh, always said to, to win Liège, everything would have to go perfectly for me, and, and it did today. Um, really, the guys uh, never lost faith. I was I was struggling a little bit there, about 30k to go, but they they stuck by me, kept me up the front in all the all the right times in the perfect position, and uh, I just buried it to stay in the front for the for the final and. Um, Followed the right guys and just had the, the sprint to, to finish the job off. So um, uh, it's just a dream come true. I'll be pinching myself for a long, long time, I think. Maybe it will be my. my <laughs> Can you believe that? Can you believe it? Nice! <laughs> <laughs> right. How about that one, Pleasure to work with you. Can you believe that? Great stuff. Always said. Best road race in the world. And then everyone said, oh, my last time I remember, I thought, well, you've won both. Yeah, unbelievable memories. Um, and, and it's true what he said. I remember 30K to go, I think he told the guys on the radio, look, I'm, I'm no good, I'm no good. And they're like, well, you know, we'll, we'll see how he goes and, and protect him. And, and I just remember that ride of Weendog spills was huge to bridge that gap, bring him across. Um, yeah, fantastic memories, eh? Mate, I'm surprised why he didn't knock the airbag out of the bloody front of that car <laughs> and the dash yeah. was that hard. Yeah. No, that was yeah, that was pretty I actually went for a ride with Giro yesterday. Um so we were he's in Girona at the moment. He's heading back to Australia in a couple of weeks. But uh, it was good to catch up with him. Talk about yeah we actually talked about Liège because obviously Liège was on yesterday. Um so yeah no that was one of his big one of the big moments. And we were talking about Albacini obviously how Alba retired yesterday. Liège was his last race and uh, we were talking about how Alba got so close just a few years later when he was mm. second, when he was second in, in, um, in Liège. So it was cool to see him uh, giving it a crack yesterday in his final outing on the as a pro bike rider and his final outing with Greenidge as well. So, yeah, emotional times all around. Liège. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Liège. Now, fellas, who do we like for stage number three? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Yes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to be game to go? Yeah, Yatesy won't win this. I'll go with uh, one of the European challenges. Um, Ulysses well, up there in the market as well. That's, I mean, I think, be, I think it's a bit too long. I think it's a bit too long for yeah. Diego. He's great yesterday. He's brilliant in those, you know, a couple yeah. of Ks up to up to as you know, I think it was his seventh stage winner of the, of the the Giro, but. It's hard to pick, isn't it? Like, we can put all the odds on this, but this is mm. the first test. This is where we get the form guide. You know, how mm. are people going? Yesterday's climb, you know, wasn't hard enough for the big GC guys to be affected by it. You know, we heard from Whitey, he said Fulsang needs to do something. He's got two of his main guys out now. So both um, Vlasov and Lopez have crashed out, and that would have been the best chance for him to help in, in the big mountains. So it's, he's going to be on the back foot. Um, Nibali, of course, it's his last day in, in, uh, in Sicily. He's going to have a crack. Um, and Garen Thomas, you know, the guy won the Tour de France a couple of years ago. You know, on, mm. on paper, he should be the first at the top of the hill. So who knows? What do you reckon, Ify? No, no, I think uh, on paper, Yates first on top of the hill because uh, he only go back uh, a week uh, into Torino Adriatico and the, when the steep climbs, he just rode away from them. And I think he'll ride away from in the last 2K of this. 
Mm. Ben Jensen wants to know, will Ben O'Connor keep up with the main GC favourites to the finish today? I'd hope yeah. he does, but I don't think he will. I, I don't think at this at this level. Like Ben won a stage of Tour of Austria, I think it was, last year, Bills. Um, so it shows he's a good rider, but this stage. Yeah, he, he rode well he had, yesterday, too. He rode well yesterday. Yeah. He had a good Giro in 2018. He was, he was up around the top 10 uh, until he crashed out on stage 19. Uh, but he's been pretty quiet since then. But so... Etna's a funny one. It's such a long climb, and this year they're, they're doing a different side, which arguably is an easier side, um, although there's nothing easy about an 18K climb. Uh, but also the, the fact that it's so open, that climb as well. If it's a headwind, can you know can change things a little bit. Uh, I, I think I agree with you, Scotty, that it's too long for Elise, but if it is a headwind, you never know. Uh, and Nibali, um, I mean, he's on his home roads, his last mm. chance, his last chance in Sicily. He he is in the same boat as Fulsung and Kreuzberg, where they both, all three of those guys, need to close a bit of time early because they lost over a minute to um, the other GC guys in the, in the TT. So uh, guys like Yates can afford to probably wait another week or two, um, but those guys need to start getting time back as soon as they can. I think so. Yeah, it'd be an interesting stage. So you're predicting a shark attack, Bills? Shark right between Messina. the flags. Yeah. Um, Vazzy J's got a good point, Iffy. Could Sam ride the Bay Classic? Well, you've ridden it before. About time you came back, mate. Hey? I'll have to see how the wrist is. <laughs> yeah, it's worth, mate, it's worth doing the two weeks quarantine. Make sure you get on the start line for sure. Mate, if you can, um, get, me ho- if you can get me home without having to quarantine, I'll come and do the Bay Classics. All right, I'll start working on it tomorrow. <laughs> You know, people that can pull some strings in the yeah, government. Yeah, yeah. We'll try and yeah. see what we can do. We, we yeah. can quarantine you. We do two weeks up at Mitchelton Winery. Yeah, could be bad That's for right. career, but yeah. <laughs> nice hotel. He wouldn't. He wouldn't turn up at the Bay Crits then. I know. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add before we go, lads? Um, shout out to Harry Sweeney, Aussie young Aussie Harry Sweeney. We know that he signed uh, next year with Lotto for, in the World Tour. But he won the under twenty three Liège Baston Liège yesterday. So great ride ah, uh, for fantastic. the young Aussie. Yes, under twenty three oh, run. It's it's you know, they have the, the Roubaix Liège, a couple of those different races for the under twenty three. So it shows he's on the right trajectory and off to the World Tour next year as well. So good on him, Harry. Yeah. What about you, Bills? Want to send a shout out to the old man or anything like that oh, before we go? I don't know if he's watching. Nah, nothing. Just happy to be back talking to you boys. Good to see you, Scotty. Enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, you too, Bills. Yeah. I won't see you next year at the Sun Tour, unfortunately, but uh, hopefully the year after. We're already starting to think about what we can do for the year after, yeah. Perfect. Maybe you can do a a virtual Sun Tour. Zwift one. Seems pretty popular these days, isn't it? Yeah. No, no. No. Good Good answer. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, uh, boys, for another big show. Um, We'll be back again 7.30 for previewing, hopefully, or recapping a a victory from Yatesy. And, yeah, we'll be previewing every night of the tour at 7.30. Uh, Till then, we'll see you tomorrow.